boys and girls. Uh, we got a new sponsor, J2 Ice Ripper. If you want to keep your honey hole open, you need to look no further than the J2 Ice Ripper. Uh, it's a priceless tool when your favorite water hole is locked up with ice. Don't let Mother Nature put a halt to your season anymore. Go to J2OutdoorsLLC.com and you can buy the badass ice ripper or as we call it, the pond heater. Uh, we're excited to have them on board. We know a lot of our listeners hunt in conditions that sometimes will lock up their hole. So the ice ripper is something that you need. So go to j2outdoorsllc.com, buy you an ice ripper. And right now they have a stimulus package going on. So right now you can get the ice ripper for $550. That's $100 off. This thing normally runs $650. Going to be one of the biggest sales that they have going on this year. So you better go to j2outdoorsllc.com and jump all over this stimulus deal. All right, uh, this podcast is brought to you by the one and only Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. It is not too late. Actually, it is prime time to start looking at this fall and winter. And when you're booking those out outdoor adventures, waterfowl hunts, please look us up. Stanfieldhunting.com. You can call us. You'll even get to talk to Jeff. 940-658-3172. Who answers his own phone. Answers his own phone. The books are open. I don't know. That's one thing that bothers me. When outfitters post on Instagram, the books are open. Motherfucker, the books are always open. Yeah, I've never... If somebody's wanting to send you a fucking check, you're going to take the check. So don't blow smoke up my ass. The books are open for 2020, 2021. Fuck off. No, I did not book some hunts until i mean i got the dates down but i didn't jack with the invoices or anything right but they but, act but, like you can't book a hunt yeah you i promise book you a hunt you, whenever they're gonna take your don't money don't give me that bullshit books don't are, give me that books are open books are open 20 2020 2021 fuck off you can book a hunt anytime of year <laughs> if you want to book a hunt for 2030 i'll sell it to we'll you. sell it to you <sighs> this podcast is also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the best silhouette on the market. DiveBombIndustries.com. Dive Bomb Industries on Instagram. They're the best. They're what we use each and every day. Silhouettes, Silla Socks, the way to go. No more full bodies. It's a thing of the past. Go skinny. Think skinny when you think this waterfowl season. DiveBombIndustries.com, and they can hook you up. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth hits like a freight train. Turkey season's coming up. You can get the Boss Tom. 410, 28 gauge, 2012. Yeah. Well, any of, any of that uh, smaller gauge load. They've actually got a, a contest going on. It's a photo contest. You, uh, It's a 410 challenge. Go get the Boss Tom 410. Roll your turkey up with the 410. Take a nice picture and go to their Instagram. They can explain it to you. But it is a fun little challenge, and it is one that I will be participating in. Got some 410 loads sitting in sitting on the desk over there. BossShotShells.com, and it obviously it's not too late to start stocking up for this waterfowl season. Bismuth hits like a freaking freight train. It's the only way to go. I use it each and every day. BossShotShells.com. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. The 2x4 blind is a game changer because most waterfowl hunters are a little bit overnourished. The Lucky Duck 2x4 fits these overnourished guys easily. Four of them. Four of them with plenty of elbow room to spare. Put a heater in there, maybe a little cooker. I don't know what you got going on in your hunts. But it's a game changer. So if you're in the market for the best blind out there, 
that a waterfowl hunter can use. Go to luckyduck.com and get the Lucky Duck 2x4 blind. They've also got turkey decoys. They're kind of a one-stop shop over there, and they've got some great products. So go look them up at luckyduck.com. We're also brought to you by Pacific Calls. The boys up there know what they got going on. The best spec call that I've ever blown. They've got a hell of a lesser call if you're into that sort of thing. And they've got turkey calls. They've got diaphragms. They've got box calls. Whatever you're looking for, the boys at Pacific Calls can hook you up. Go to PacificCustomCalls.com. Use the promo code BHP25. Save yourself some moolah, some green. And you can save 25% at checkout by using our promo code BHP25. Save some money. Go to Pacific Custom Calls. Get whatever you're looking for for this year. My favorite, the Looking Glass Duck Club, Mr. Logan Pyatt. Who's going to be sponsoring our next big giveaway, which we'll do sometime in May or June. Sometime in May or June we'll be doing another one. It'll be a five-man, two-day goose hunt, lodging and meals at the Big Honker Lodge with Logan Pyatt and Andy Shaver. You can't get into the Duck Club, but you can definitely get some nice apparel. They've got a cooler out right now. They've got jackets. They've got hoodies. And it's all, all of them are the same. They've got the old boy with the scope on his shotgun or rifle <clears throat> trying to shoot those ducks. Love it. Hence the name, Looking Glass Duck Club. Look them up on Instagram at the Looking Glass Duck Club. Pretty simple to find. Last but not least, we're brought to you by the best wine on the market, Texas Wine, William and Chris Wines, and High Texas, you're Texas under, Grapes. You're under quarantine? Just have them ship you a case of wine. That's right. That's right. Quarantine makes no difference when you're a boozer. You'll figure out how to get it to you. They'll ship it to you. WilliamandChrisWines.com. Go through their collection. I'm a fan of the Skeleton Key because I eat a lot of red meat because I'm a fucking American, and that's what you're supposed to do. Red meat and red wine go together, in case you didn't know, Jeff. Uh, That's what I've heard. Yeah. So, Skeleton Key is my favorite. Try them all. You decide. WilliamandChrisWines.com. All right, all right, all right. This episode, uh, we're joined by the legend himself, Mr. Ramsey Russell. The man's been everywhere. I don't, uh, I don't know if there's a, a piece of dirt on this earth that he hasn't been to. Been everywhere. Seen it all, done it all. Uh, great, great guy. We really enjoy having him on. We did have some technical difficulties uh, in a few spots. I think it's around the 40, 40 to 50 minute. Somewhere in there. I don't know. Whenever he's talking about Romania is uh, is when we kind of had some glitches. So um, basically what he was saying um, is he had booked a hunt to Romania with one guy. And then right before he was supposed to go, uh, another guy started emailing him, telling him to bring the money. And uh, it, it, it's a great story. But uh, so when he's setting the story up, we uh, we had a couple, couple glitches. So I was just going to clarify that. Um Great guy. We really enjoyed it. We hope that you guys enjoy it, and uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in. So here he is, Ramsey Russell.
right into our intro. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and this is Jeff Stanfield with the Big Honker Podcast. I messed that all up. How'd you mess I it up? I screwed up my whole intro that I normally do. I didn't notice and it. And who are you? I'm Andy Shaver and with the Big Honker Podcast. And who do we have online with us today? We've got Mr. Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com. How are you, Ramsey? Man, I'm well as to be expected during the zombie apocalypse or whatever's going on. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad to be here. It I'm, is a- I, I tell you what, I'm bored. It's a crazy time right now, man. If I lived in Jackson, Mississippi, I would have been tornado chasing yesterday. Demetrius, Mm -hmm. no. Look, I talked to y'all a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I don't fool with. I mean, I I don't get that. Go out and look for tornadoes. Come on, man. It's like looking for a rattlesnake. I I was tornado chasing the day I talked to you. (laughs) It's like it's like picking up a rattlesnake. It ain't like looking for one. That ain't me, man. <laughs> I I know Jeff's Jeff's all about it, but uh, I'd rather stay at home and uh, watch paint dry or something. Okay, Ramsey, hey. tell me where you been lately. Say again. Where have you been hunting at lately? Tell me, tell me the last place you man, got to go hunt before this all started. Man, look, I I got back. I got back from Azerbaijan on February twenty second, and uh, and thought and thought I was home for two months because uh, I hadn't left home since, but. Thought I was leaving Thursday, heading to Argentina through June, and those those plans have been uh, temporarily interrupted. Now, look, we, when we were in Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan is over on the Caspian Sea, up up around Turkey and Russia and Iran, and uh, we were eating dinner in, in the city of Baku uh, on February twenty first, and that was when uh, Iran got sealed up tight. Now we'd been hunting about eight miles from Iran. And that was kind of a big deal to, to you know, because hearing about this uh, this pandemic or this, this this swine flu or this bird flu or just whatever they were going to make this thing to be. Uh, but, man, when they sealed off a ran coming and going, and we had been just right there. In fact, one of the one of the wetlands we shoot uh, for divers, if you get up on the old levee, you can look about two miles to the south, I guess that'd be, and, and there's a ran. And uh, just to, when they started talking about sealing off that border, coming and going because of this uh, coronavirus, that, that kind of got my attention. And, and now I had to go back through all them airports and all them planes. And, you know, it wasn't no big deal. But, but I can tell you, I wash my hands and avoided uh, people a lot more than normal coming <laughs> back home. You know, but, but still not dreaming this was going to be what it's turned into. Oh, hell no. What was the hunting like? The hunt was good. You know, it, it's in the northern hemisphere. And they had had a uh, a winter very much like ours. It got it got a little bit cold, but not as cold as it needed to be. We shot a lot of teal, widgeons, uh, some pintail shovers, gadwalls, mallards. Uh, shot some common poachers. Shot a couple of shell ducks, but we didn't really get into the uh, red crested poachers. That's a big hardy diver that comes out of Russia down the Volga River Delta, and uh, it didn't get cold enough to push them down again this year. And so, uh, so, but, but it, I mean, you know, it, it wasn't as good as it could be, which is to say, I didn't shoot but about 12 to 15 ducks per day. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but, but we weren't there just a duck hunt. It, it, it's a, it's a, uh, we were there really to shoot some of those species. You're just not going, those red crested poachers or something else. And, but I got to tell you now, as, as a, as a hunter, I think you'll kind of, you know, what, what, really gets me about this hunt because i absolutely love that location azerbaijan it's it's real 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 old school we we meet these uh 
we meet our guide staff at the lake, and it's about a hundred thousand acre impoundment. Um, we meet them way before dark, and we step off in these little old bitty boats, um, the size of a P-Row. I mean, twelve foot long, a foot and a half wide, but but skinny on both ends. And you sit in that thing, and I'm, I'm I weigh about one hundred seventy five pounds, and I sit in that seat, and I don't move too too far one way left or right <laughs> and the boy in the back he stands in the back and he and he push poles us just 30 45 minutes off to where we're going hunting and uh good blinds good old school blinds and lead shot and uh put some decoys out of course we use mojos and uh they use electronic calls over there which are very very helpful uh there's a reason they don't use them over here like you know how gadwalls act all like they act back here in the states Shoot, mm-hmm. son, you, you put a put a call on them and watch what they do they turn inside out and uh but the birds are the, the hunting pressure is is because now look break break your guide might likely be a market hunter and uh a lot of, you know you're, there, there's places outside of town that uh you you know when the ducks are in because there's little kiosks little roadside stands just slap full of ducks that they shot that morning selling them to the public so those birds get pressured you got to play by the rules you got to hunt but but it's really uh, their hunting methods are a lot like stepping back to the late 1800s man those guys play for keeps if they they got just incredibly good eyesight they can they can see a bird a mile off and if, if they see a bird they assume that he might come in to play, and they go into game mode. <laughs> I mean, they, 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 they go into absolute game mode every single duck because, you know, truth of the matter is, when you play for keeps and you play by the rules, the, the, the more chances you get, the more ducks that are going to act dumb and come in. Yeah. And so they, they act like that. I, I always, uh, I'll tell you, it's the kind of hunting uh, this year, because it was warmer, because the birds were a little stale, uh, those birds get, get, uh, they, they, you gotta, you gotta be hidden. You gotta hunt. And I'll tell you, if you, if you go and you just act like it's, uh, opening day, Arkansas, you can take it or leave it. You're, you know, just playing on your phone or doing something like that. In the duck blind, you probably aren't going to come out with as many birds, but if you'll sit there face downwind and pay attention, chances are you're going to, you're going to have a good hunt, you well, know? And I, I like that. I respect that. Well, everything sounded good about it, but I can't see my big ass in that little old boat. That's kind of what make me nervous. Oh, well, I, I don't know how much. I, well, I have to. I've met you, Jeff. Uh, I come up there and busted your balls there at, uh, uh, over in Dallas. Yes, sir. I don't know if you remember that. Yes, I, I do. I came up at you about wanting to shoot wood ducks. And I don't know if you knew who I was. You're like, oh, no. Uh, we ain't got yeah. I, I, realize, I, I realized <laughs> it later. <laughs> so, so Ramsey, uh, what was the accommodations, man? You where you stay and stuff no, is just it, amazing. No, it's real. It's real nice accommodations. Uh, it, it just, just it, it, uh, the the place we stay is a nice uh, six bedroom home, and uh, it's it's got a toilet. You know, their 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 local culture is a hole in the floor, but they <laughs> they have toilets for us, and uh, and and it, it's it's just as nice and comfortable as as can possibly be. And it needs to be comfortable because I tell you, uh, it doesn't sound like much, but it's ten hours in the future, and yeah. and usually, uh, usually when I get there, the whole first week, you know, you're just kind of you don't really sleep eight hours. You sleep four hours, get up and go hunt until about noon, and then come in and sleep four more hours. I, I sleep in four hour cycle, and usually coming into the second or third week, if I'm there with a bunch of clients. I'll kind of come around and get back on their time. and um, But the accommodations are very nice. You know what's so crazy? I'm from the Mississippi Delta, 
And uh, one of my hometowns, Greenwood, Mississippi, is the self-proclaimed long staple cotton capital of the world. Still got the bull billboards as you come into town, cotton capital of the world. And, and that little village we hunt, uh, it's, a, it's a sizable little village. I'd say it's about 10,000 people. When you're coming in, they got a great big old sign, big old, big old sign up over the, the, the double lane road coming in with two big cotton bowls. Because it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of cotton in that part of the world. And, and that reservoir that we hunt is about 100,000 acres. But, but at times a year, they, they use it to draw up to irrigate, you know, for different agricultural crops. So it, 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 in a lot of ways, it's so similar to hunting at home, but it, it's, of course, as different as can possibly be. I was coming out one year, talking about market hunting. I was coming out uh, last year, I think it was. We were coming out, and there was, there was a boat up ahead. I shot about six ducks, one of one a great morning, mallards and gadwalls. And I think I shot a gargany that morning. But we were coming out, and there was a... Um, a local in front of us kind of push, pushing, you know, standing up, pushing that P-Row and going. And, uh, look, guys like us, Westerners, don't don't go stand in them little boats. You'll, you'll bust your tail, but uh, they can do it. They, it's, it's like it's like a second foot for them. And uh, they'll step in that boat and just go with it. And as we come up on him, uh, he was talking to my guide, and they knew each other. They were talking, but, but I noticed he had about the same amount of ducks I had, but he had a, a two-shooter side-by-side gun. But I got to notice him his ammo belt and uh in his ammo belt his unspent cartridges were hand loads and, and what i mean is they hadn't crimped it like we would he didn't he didn't he didn't he didn't do a uh he didn't have a uh he didn't have a reloading machine like we would back home you know like we grew up reloading shotgun right. shells basically they just poured the powder poured the shells put a little wax in there and you could tell how the wax was closer to the end on some of them than others, and I mean by an inch. That, <laughs> you know, the, the the load and the powder varied greatly. And I, he, he would not let me take a picture of him, and uh, but I did take a picture of his shells and kind of his, his his gear and stuff like that. But I just marveled. You know, they they, you know, we Americans have elevated duck hunting absolute art form T- tell me one piece of equipment that we have is not the best it can possibly be i mean you know the decoys the camo the shot shells the the guns the everything is rocket science art form waiters but then you waiters uh, yeah. gear equipment cortex uh the whole works man you know even over uh your daddy or your granddaddy's generation here in america it's just light years beyond what it was but then you step back over into a country like that that they're shooting a lot of times homemade shells and homemade decoys. And I mean, what they pass off, I brought a, I, we, we were boating by one day and I saw some decoys, uh, homemade decoys off in the bushes. And, uh, my guy didn't understand that particular guy didn't understand my hand signals about wanting to go get them. He kind of shrugged it off. We got to ramp, had my interpreter. I said, Hey, tell him I want to go get some of those decoys. And they're like, oh, yeah. He says you don't want them; they're just trash. I said, no, I want them. Trust me, I want them. Yeah. So we went. We went back, and, and I got a couple of them for the client and I. And they were just, you know, it was just he, he had just this. It was market hunting. He was cheap. He had gone out and uh, taken just some old styrofoam, just pieces of foam he had found at, at the landfill, or blown off, wrapped it up with black bisqueen, like a Christmas present, and then wrapped the plastic to hold it on there, taking like some copper filament off of a like a coil and wrapped it up. And then and then just taking a taking a, a piece of a sandal for a head <laughs> and it didn't look like it it, look, it looked really kinda like something out of a uh C 
serial murderer. It reminded me of like a mask somebody like Bundy or somebody would have worn it. But, <laughs> but, but they, they, they had pellet holes all of them because he had landed ducks in them. And this year I was hunting. Now, you'll like this story. Uh, you're always early. They don't. They hunt like we do. They get there early, but, but I don't know if it's if it's if it's just a whole lifetime of being conditioned to shooting hours, legal shooting hours that my eyes are like they are, or just old age. I'm 53 years old, but we get to the blind and um, waded off into this little spot he built. These low lying cedars. I mean, waist high cedars. He built this blind, and I sat down and he, and he touched me on my shoulder and pointed up and, and said, "Shoot." And I mean, it's pitch black dark. <laughs> It'd been an hour before I could see the shoot. You know, I'm like, shoot what? And he's like, and he, and he, uh, I can't remember the word for gadwall, but he turned on the music to gadwall. And as I'm looking, my eyes are getting adjusted, and I see this uh, darker shadow than the darkness out in front of me getting closer and realize it's a gadwall. Boom, boom, miss, miss. And he scolded me. I'm like, it's too dark. <laughs> and, uh, so, so I handed him my shell. I loaded this pitch black dark. He never took his eyes off those ducks. He would spin around in place. Well, I'm sitting here watching him. I'm like, man, this guy, his fangs came out. He was he was serious. And I, I, there on about the third pass, he shouldered a gun, shot. And I heard that duck fall about 40 yards away, stone cold dead. And, uh, you know, and he handed me the gun back. I said, no, you keep it. <laughs> you go ahead and keep it for about another 30 minutes. And uh, so they they really uh, – but but after he he left to go do something later that morning, I could see the shoot. And, and uh, the ducks kind of played out. You know, it was about, about 11 o'clock or 12, and I looked down the shore of this big, massive reservoir pond we was hunting in. And I, I could look through binoculars and make out some decoys – and, and I got to think, I said, I wonder if that's homemade decoys. And um, he wasn't around, and we were, so we were, I wasn't going anywhere anytime soon. So I walked down there to check them out, and what they were were just random pop bottles, you know, two-liter or uh, uh, pint-side, whatever, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, whatever. But it, they had put like a dark blue or dark brown or dark black sock on it to cover it up and give it color and, um, and, and, and anchored it, you know, but... It ain't something I'd choose to hunt over, but whoever spread that was an Azari hunter. That was his spread, and trust you me, he killed. There, there was enough holes in the bushes. I can tell you, he had a shoot, and he killed ducks <laughs> over it. And, and I just kind of appreciate that. It's just interesting to go back in time and see see how it is and hunt ducks real fundamentally like that. Yeah. Now I'm assuming you give the guide the ducks, or did you keep them and eat them at their lodge? Uh, we we give the, the the outfitter keeps the ducks. The the guides will ask. They will ask for ducks, but we were instructed not to not to let them have it. And I'll give them a couple. Don't don't get me wrong. If they ask, I'm gonna give them a couple. But you have to give it to them before you get back to the car, before the, the straw boss is around or something like that. Because they, boy, they tuck them in their bag or tuck them in their coat. And I don't know. They say they eat them, but if I had to guess, they're probably take them and sell them they'll probably they'll probably get a dollar or two for them and i bet you they value that dollar or two more than they do that duck but now i will say this i i, I asked you know i mean think about it if you see little if they're selling ducks on the side of the road like they sell boiled peanuts in the deep south you got to figure people are buying them people are eating them i don't mean just one little shop i mean maybe a dozen of them if the ducks are in there may be a, be a dozen and a half little little roadside kiosks selling these 
selling these these fresh picked ducks. And I asked our host one time. I said, you know, do they do they eat them? And he goes, of course we eat them. And uh, and, and what do you think their favorite is? Green wing teal. Really? That's their favorite. The, the <laughs> green wing teals are their favorite. And when we when we ask for them to cook ducks for us, and uh, they we eat them once a week at least. Uh, they 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 choose the green wings, and they 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 do them just like they do in parts of remote Argentina where we eat them. They uh, they whole pluck them, and and then they butterfly them. They they cut the backbone out and split them to where they lay flat. Salt, pepper, maybe a little seasoning, and and grill them. And and just like Argentina or Mexico, uh, we have to com- communicate to them. Please don't cook them well done. Mm-hmm. If, 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 they got to be rare. They got to be rare to medium rare, or it tastes like they're. And uh, but but otherwise, it's very very good. And the food over there is very. The food is like shish kebab. It's the, it's the home of the shish kebab. So we eat stuff like shish kebabs and lamb, and you know it, the food is good. I, I enjoy it. All the clients enjoy it a lot. Well, is the is the ground? I see when I picture that area over there, I think of rocks and dirt and mountains. Is that what it, it is? It is. It, it's. Uh, yeah, there, there's some there's some hills and there's some mountains way off in the distance over across over in Iran, uh, and that's the form that begins the formation of like what they call the Caucasus mountain range, which goes into Turkey. They've got real, real, real mountains, you know. But uh, well, where we are is pretty flat. Uh, around Baku is very hilly, but out where we are in the country, it's flat and it's uh, it's like the, the the cedar bushes will be knee, knee high. It'll be knee-high bushes, and then out in the marsh, some of the cattails and phragmites will be, you know, 15, 20-foot tall, and you'll get off. I mean, where them boys know where to go, and I have no idea, because we'll, we'll fall off into a rat maze of boat trails off in that phragmites. I mean, it's just as wide as that boat, and, and there's nothing but a little headlamp, and you're going in looking ahead, and he'll come to a forking road that goes in five different directions, and he takes one, and we'll come out into a little pothole, a little a little hole where he knows where he wants to go. And, uh, and, and they, 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 again, you know, they, they'll push that P road. They won't let so much as an inch stick out of the cover. And they'll, 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 they'll wedge it up in those, those, uh, fragmites, which are a lot like little bamboo or rose cane down Louisiana. They'll, they'll wedge it up in there where you can stand up and shoot. And, uh, and they'll put them decoys out. And if the wind changes, they'll, they'll pull the boat out and they'll paddle across to the other side and they'll wedge it back up there again. So if the wind, the wind can change 180 degrees, and and it doesn't matter, they'll just move that boat, leave the decoys, and you're you're in perfect position to play the wind. And uh, but they don't always get up in them potholes. You know, it's like uh, this time where where I had the best shoots was uh, it was like hunting over on the west side of Utah, uh, out in the Great Salt Lake, up in those marshes where there's a lot of this. Uh, Oh gosh, there's this little plant about knee high. It's got a fine seed that birds would eat, and 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 you just had to. They would build a blind up around. Uh, a, there might be a like a piece of button bush sticking up, and they'd build a blind up against it to where you, they could take it into the cover. But the, all the cover around you wasn't, but maybe as tall as your shin. And um, uh, a bulrush is what the name of that plant is. Alkali bulrush, and it must have been just a shit thousand of acres of it. Where we're, and that's where a lot of the till and the widgeon wanted to be. And so we'd get off in there and have some good shoots at times. Is it all Eurasian and, uh, widgeons? All Eurasian widgeons. You know, it's all Eurasian widgeons. And the first time I went, I had shot, you know, a dozen Eurasian widgeons around the world over the years. 
but the first time I went year before last, I shot 25 Eurasian widgeons in one week. Ooh. And um, and this year I brought home uh, five or six real good drape widgeons. I, it's like, of course, I'd bring one or two of them home, but they were so good I just couldn't not bring them home. I, I, I'd give them away or give them to a taxidermist or something. You know, I, I just they were just too nice not to. So how do you go to ask the guy if he if he, if he'll let you take his picture? Do you just hold up your camera, and why wouldn't he let you take his picture? I don't know. I, that's a good question. Maybe he was uh, maybe he was wanted, or maybe he just uh, was anti-Western. I don't know. They're they're friendly as can be, but for whatever reason, he just he was adamant about not taking his picture. And sometimes people are like that. And sometimes they aren't. That, that's anywhere in the world you go. But that that man would not. He just did not want his picture taken. He, I don't know. He looked pretty mean, so I wasn't going to take his picture. You know, let alone post it on the internet. For all I know, he was he was. Uh, who knows why? But he yeah. didn't want his picture taken. But but I, it's just interesting to me looking at the cover. Hey, here here's a quick. What do you think those guides, especially? But what do you think their favorite quote duck unquote is? It's a coot. If they see if they see a coot, they, they they will beg you to shoot that. I'm like I'm not shooting a coot. Whole pool do because they want to eat it. Like you know, around here, when I talk about hunting pressure. Around here, you've been out duck hunting and you you go you you know you're you're motoring back up to the boat ramp and you see a bunch of coots over at the boat ramp. They just kind of swim off with their head bob and they swim off into the cattails. You right. know, Argentina, Argentina, same way. Nobody throws with a buddy. When they see coots, they go into stealth mode you're, and, and tap you on the shoulder and tell you to load your gun. Because you usually pat, and they'll go into stealth mode, push pole, and try to get close enough for you to shoot those coots. And, uh, and and if they if those coots so much as hear a paddle touch the side of the boat bump, they're gone. I mean, they fly. Look really? like they've been shot at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that tells you how much hunting. But, you know, I, it made me wonder, as serious as they are about eating ducks and hunting ducks, that they like to eat coot more than anything, it makes me wonder, what am I missing out on not eating coot? Probably nothing, but it makes uh, me wonder. The gizzards. <laughs> I think nothing. I got to say nothing. I've been told coot gizzards is the best there is. I, I used to hunt with a with a friend of mine down in, uh, he's, he's from uh, somewhere down around Metairie, Louisiana. We would hunt down river, he called it, which is south of New Orleans, down around Venice. And uh, he, he used to tell me that it... Uh, there at the end of season, they would kind of just get in and uh, with their P-Rows, because, you know, in that part of the world, you always pack a P-Row in a boat because coming or going, you're probably going to need it. Um, to, to, and, of course, they stand in them. Very, it's very similar hunting to what we do in Azerbaijan. But he would, he would, they would go out at least once a year, him and his buddies, and they would shoot limits of coots, just flat shoot them, get them hemmed up and flat shoot them because his grandmother made a gumbo and she would only use coot gizzard. Okay. He says the best gumbo you ever had, but she said she would not eat anything but coot gizzards. I've still not eaten coot or coot gizzard. <laughs> Me neither. I haven't either. I cleaned a bunch of coots one day, though. We had a bunch of guys from uh, <laughs> Louisiana. We had a bunch of guys from Louisiana, South Louisiana, too. And we were hunt. We were duck hunting, and this is one of the few times in Texas that I was hunting an iced over duck hole. And there was. When the sun came up, we it, had busted ice all morning. It wasn't iced up the night before. Yeah. And it got cold enough. It iced up, so we busted ice all morning. Sun comes up, and we see out about 40 yards, there is a perfect circle, about 15 by 15. 
and it is full of every coot that was on that pond. <laughs> well, they got excited, didn't they? Oh my goodness! The duck hunting was slow, and the head guide said, "Hey, do you care if we go shoot those coots?" I'm like, "Shit, I don't really care." And they stood with their their toes in the water, and they just shot almost everyone. We shot a limit of coots. I think what's the limit? Fifteen. I think it was a hundred and something. Yeah, we shot a limit. Whatever the limit of coots is, we shot it, and we cleaned every one of them. I be. And Y'all whole pluck them or breast them out or what? Uh, we breast. No, no, well, we took the gizzards is what we did. I think we breasted yeah. them and took the gizzards out because they, they were adamant that they got all the gizzards. But it gets better than that. We shot a limit of ducks that morning also because we shot ruddy ducks. <laughs> it was a trophy hunt, Ramsey, a trophy hunt. So, oh, yeah, I see that. So these guys, they left. It was their last day. They left with, on their last day, they shot a limit of coots and a limit of ducks full of, red, full of ruddy ducks. And I tell you what, those coots are some vicious-looking bastards. Their feet are disgusting. I don't know why we didn't get a good picture of that. That would have made a great group picture. Oh, it would have. It would have. But they were tickled. They, there, got, they got a bunch of gizzards to take home. There's a coot. There's a coot down in the Andes Mountains of Peru. I've shot them before. And uh, probably because of COVID, we're not going to make it down there in July. We were going down to film uh, a mountain and coastal Peru hunt this year, uh, Jake Latondras and I. And I, I, it's possible we'll go, but who knows? We won't know till we know. But uh, one of the one of the trophies, now you get off in the mountains, Andes Mountains. And uh, years ago, I shot a pair of Andean geese at right at 16,000 feet elevation, according Ooh. to the... Uh, According to the GPS, wow. or the altimeter, it, it was on up there. But also on one in Mountain Lakes, probably not quite that high. We shot a, a what they call a giant coot. That coot weighs three to four pounds. It's the biggest. It is as big as a goose. <laughs> and 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 uh, I've always uh, and, and 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 Peru is just one of them countries. You got to every year you have to read what they call their hunt calendar to see what is legal. When I shot those birds, they were legal. And what is not? There's been years in between that, for whatever reason, they just it don't make the list. But I've always said I would love, love to bring back one of them giant coots and put it on the bow of a boat with a bunch of little coots, park it at the boat ramp, <laughs> just leave it right at the boat ramp in Venice there at the launch, <laughs> and just back off and sit down and watch. And you'll see what folks have when they come by and saw, saw a three or four-pound coot sitting on the bow. <laughs> Dude. Don't don't you know they'd have a fit? Uh, oh yeah, you make the paper. Just show up one day and they're here. I've never seen a big yeah. flock up in the air ever. They say it's that they say it. They say it, and I, I I have to go back and find it. But I've read that coot are one of the highest flyers. That they'll fly twenty thousand feet, twenty five thousand feet, and and the rumor is they they fly at night, and that's why you just wake up one morning and your, your duck hole's covered with them. They just show up. That, That's ha- what that heard, has you know. to be it. I've never seen one flying a flock. Ever. I've never. I mean, you're talking to three guys, three guys here that waterfowl hunt quite a bit, and I've never seen a coot migrating in. So it's got to be at night, and it's got to be high altitude. Got to be. I want to ask you a question, since you're a, a man of importance. What is? <laughs> what is a? Is it a galnu? How do they pronounce that? G a galnu. Yeah. What? What? what what is that? I see them all the time. Texas has a season on them, even I think. Now it, it's a rail. Missis, Mississippi has a season on uh, rails and gallinules also. 
And uh, on some of the properties in Mississippi, the only gallon yields we see, is, uh, the only thing near that is like in the spring, like this time of year, we might see some of them purple gallon yields coming back through. They're in the rail family. But uh, but I have seen in the fall, uh, seen sore rails, little bitty sore rails coming through. And, and we've eaten and made, made uh, stew and gumbo and whatnot out of them. But I'll tell you this, uh, a couple of years ago, I've got some clients uh, over in coastal Georgia. And they said, man, you got to come down and go rail hunting with us. I said, it's kind of like a snipe hunt. I'm supposed to come hold a bag. I mean, really? Oh, oh. He said, no, seriously, you, you, you'll really enjoy it. And so I actually uh, I actually took a little 28-gauge over and under and went and did this hunt with them. And you, you got to you, – they were real specific about the weekend because the tide has got to be right. They want, they want the tide to be high to where uh, there's not a lot of dry ground. There's not a lot of ground for the birds to hit the ground and run. They'd rather run. And these were all clapper rails. Uh, I think the limit was eight or ten apiece. I can't remember which, but uh, there were three of us, and we, we they took turns push polling. We took turns shooting. <laughs> but they would get off, and uh, and once somebody would push pole, it's a pretty big boat, and you sit in the front, and as you're just push polling, those little, those little rails would jump up and flush. And it was, I got to tell you, it was fun, but I could not believe uh, they were good eating. I, I made, uh, made a gumbo with some of them. And uh, I think we fried some one night. Just made you know like fried uh, nuggets uh, one night there. They, they, were, they were good. They, they were they was good eating. But you know you got to be down in that coastal habitat with that that marsh grass, uh, and you got to know what you're doing. Like I would see some of these birds even at high tide. You would be be, be uh, you hear them out there just making their noises like kind of like coots, uh, making that 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 little noise they make you know, like a marsh hen. And we'd be push poling, and sometimes they would slip off in the water. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. They would slip off in the water, and it'd be just their head above. It looked like a deer swimming. Just their head would be above the water. They were sneaking to hem them up and get up to them to make them jump up and fly. Uh, but but like you 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 might you might follow out this little place where you can push pole and follow that grass out to a point. That point would stick way out in open water. And you sit there, you'd be 15 yards from the end of that point thinking, well, crap, I can't believe there's nothing in it. But you go another 5 or 10 feet, and there might be 15 of them start coming out of there, like a shooting gallery. Yeah. It, it was, uh, I got to tell you, I would go do it again. It was that much fun. Well, I really did enjoy it. You know, talking about some of the funny stuff we eat and uh, eating around the world and doing stuff like that, one of, one of the things we started during COVID, just uh, a little bit more, and I started a little podcast myself called Duck Season Somewhere, which you know, and it's mostly just going duck camps around the world and telling, you know, talking to clients and talking to outfitters and talking to people while we're traveling. But since we're homebound right now, we've been just talking about some other stuff. And we got talking about food we eat. And it reminded me earlier when we were talking about eating coots and coot gitters. Have y'all ever eaten anything on a duck besides just the duck? I mean, have you ever tried the liver or the gizzards or the uh, or the hearts? I've no. got. I have a personal preference that I don't even eat a duck. Jeff's not a big duck eater, but. No, I've never eaten anything other than just you know. I got the basics. The the uh, deer heart and beef heart, for that matter, is pretty darn good. Uh, down in Peru, they they eat the, one of the specialty dishes called anchucos, which is beef heart and it's sliced up and seasoned a lot like fajitas. It's like a fajita seasoning, and I grill it, and I think it's very very good. I've had it with liver and onions, you know, kind of like kind of like you cook liver with onions and, and saute it in butter. And I like deer heart, but uh. I was up in Canada this year, and, and actually, I'd, I'd tried it one time a coon, a coon ass uh, up in Saskatchewan many years ago, 
he was he was making a making a you know how they make a gravy you know uh, kind of make a gravy with 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 whole ducks but he had saved the hearts and put them in there and they're pretty darn good and he 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 makes a heck of a roasted speckle belly if you want but uh but those little hearts for just little poppers were unbelievable. Huh. It was. It's a good size. It's a lot bigger than a duck heart, but it was, it was very good. I think I'm sure Canada goose and snow goose would be just as good. But uh, you clean them and marinate them, and you know Italian dressing or whatever, a little Worcestershire or soy sauce. Put that put that piece of uh, chestnut and then and then wrap it with bacon and skewer them up on a big long shish kebab stick, and it just it's good. It's a good little it's a good little nibble. Now now what? If, let's go back to how do you say it? Ar- Abish Abishir Azur. Azerbaijan. God, Azerbaijan. <laughs> what kind of those guys? What, what kind of tip do those guys make a day? And I'm assuming American money they love. Oh, we tip them twenty dollars a day. And that's probably big money for over there, isn't it? Probably pretty good money. Yep. Over there, they're they're big into falconry. We get to the coffee shop, and there's four sheep sitting around with with these little hood. Got these got these falcons on our arms with hoods on them. And we 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 get on the bus to go make our flight, and half the bus has got sheeks and our, our guy in Azerbaijan later described them as middle class sheeks. I said, "What do you mean by middle class?" <laughs> and uh, he said, "He said if they were real sheeks, they'd be flying private." <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but but the whole back half of the plane going into Baku that night was middle class sheeks. They had a seat for themselves and a seat for their falcons, and uh, they don't care anything about shooting those birds. They they want to. There's a there's a, a a bird over there, kind of like a partridge, uh, bastard, and apparently it's protected. I've seen them; they're they're beautiful game birds, but they they hunt those birds with their falcons. That that's their thing is, is falconry. And and I was talking to a lady at a convention one time and brought that up, and and she said it's funny you say that because my ex husband lives in Doha and and trains falcons for sheiks. There's enough of them buying falcons. He makes a heck of a living raising falcons to for these guys to buy and go out bird hunting with. Have you ever done the falconry? The falconry no. hunting? No, nah, I'd be that'd be too boring. I, 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 I'm not saying I wouldn't like to go sit and watch it, you know. But uh, but nah, I, I, I like the way we duck hunt just fine. <laughs> it's uh, you know? it's different. We we had a guy on the podcast that does it. Different cat. Yeah, it's a. Well, you know, just the time, the time requirement, the people I've talked to about those Falcons, it's not like, uh, you, you want to take your wife to the beach for the weekend, you go, go put Fido in the, in the vet. You can't right. do that. Those birds require 24 seven care. Yeah. That, it was so kind of, if you go ahead, mm-mm. I mean, you, you just, if you own a Falcon or an Eagle or whatever, you, you're just all in, you, you've got to take care of that bird. Hey, now I'll tell you, we were in Mongolia one time. And we weren't in this part of Mongolia, although if, if, if I would love I would love to see this because over in parts of uh, northwest Mongolia, they hunt wolves with golden eagles. What? And that's a big deal. That's a they hunt wolves with golden eagles falconry. Yeah, I've seen the videos. And you know, uh, I saw a meme one time. It was like some girl carrying her golden eagle on, and she riding a horse and got this eagle and. Of course, she's got her wolf coat on and her wolf hat and all this stuff, and she's riding along. And the meme says something like, "You might be a badass, but but you ain't badass like wearing a wolf coat caught with your golden eagle bat." <laughs> and uh, and I'm thinking, well, that that would be kind of cool to see. I've seen videos of it, and we were in a we were in downtown Ulaanbaatar, 
they had a big department store about seven stories high. And we said, well, let's go, you know, let's go up there and shop because on the seventh floor there was, um, like, you know, just local, local stuff, you know, uh, local Mongolian stuff you might want to buy for souvenir or whatever like that. We went through there and looked at it. And some of it was pretty dang bizarre. Uh, some of the artwork from from back in Genghis Khan's days was downright pornographic. I mean, just absolute pornographic. But it, when you thought to yourself, "This is thousands of years old worth of artwork. This is bizarre." But they had a uh, they had a lot of these like fur hats, like like you know, like a Russian type hat you see made out of fox or made out of mink or made out of beaver or made out of whatever. And then they had a whole bunch of uh, I mean, piles piles of of wolf hides, just tanned wolf hides and bunch of fur coats but i don't mean fur coats like 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 your wife would wear to go out and eat go to the opera or something i mean like functional fur coats like these people wear fur because it gets minus 50 over there okay mm-hmm. and uh one of one of the coat racks had a had a wolf coat on and it, 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 it was like a it's like a uh like a bath like a big old bathrobe you just kind of put it on and close it and tie it with a belt <laughs> and uh like like that like that like that like that wolf hunter with a golden eagle would wear and and so i put on i grabbed one of them fur cats and put one of them and put it on and i put on that wolf robe and i handed my phone to somebody and said hey take my picture and before he could focus and take my picture my my glasses started fogging up it was so hot <laughs> and and before he took two pictures and we laughed and cut up and i got out of that got out of that robe I had to go out, go out, get, go down the elevator and outside to cool off. I was so hot. <laughs> it was the warmest thing I'd ever put on. <laughs> Did you buy it? No, it, it was uh, it was three hundred dollars, and and I was I was I said, you know, that's crazy as heck to buy three hundred dollars, but that would be a pretty cool thing for the game room. And our host said, you can't bring it back to the states. The U.S. forbids because uh, it's wild caught wolf. It's a wild caught. All the every wolf hide in there had been trapped or shot. Or caught with a golden eagle. And it was just, uh, I don't know, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife provision against bringing wild-caught wolf hides from Mongolia into the States. What was the duck hunting like in Mongolia? What was the what like? The duck hunting like. It it was, uh, we go to Mongolia about once every two or three years, and it's not a it's not a duck hunt like we duck hunt. Now, last time I was on your podcast, we talked about, we, we stumbled we were out scouting up in the mountains and found a kind of like a wetland where the snow water had built up in this little flat spot. We had a heck of a mallard and pintail shoot, and it, that was kind of crazy because there was nowhere to hide. We literally went up and bought a couple of hay bales from from a, um, a shepherd uh, to hide in. We just busted them up and laid under them, you know, and sprinkled them around to cover us up and had a pretty nice mallard and pintail shoot, probably birds that had never heard a duck call or, or been shot at before. But but you so that kind of hunt is uh it, it it's in April like literally right now, the the first uh the first twenty days of April that season is open. It's one of the only places in the world you can spring hunt, but you're not over there. It, it's a very it's a finite amount on your license that you can shoot thirty, but the reasons you go there are for uh, not mallards and and pintails. It, it's for uh, common and ruddy shell ducks and swan geese. And bar-headed geese, and 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 maybe see a gargany, maybe see a tufted duck, maybe see some Eurasian wisions. But it's a straight up, absolute like big game trophy hunter collection, and they as a people have zero basis for what we call duck hunting. From where we had been hunting for a few days, 
off to the north, you could see this this rock, this formation, this this hill, um, like a triangular hill. You could just see it. You always see you see mountains in the background, but this was always within sight. And as we drove by it, when we scout, we drove probably an hour and a half before we got near it, and it was like a big old Indian mound. Staple of an Indian mound you see in the deep south, maybe maybe as tall as a one one story house, and uh, maybe a little bit taller, about the same size, an average two thousand square foot house, but just tall. And all around the base of it were uh, horse skulls and and ribbons and uh, flags, and, and up on the top of a big tall pole, somebody had stuck up with a, with a blue flag. And, and as I walked up the trail to get to see what it was, there were all kinds of. Uh, all kinds of like horse skulls, painted horse skulls and horse skulls with ribbons on them. And, um, and I asked God, I said, God, what the heck is this? He said, well, it's a, it's a, a monument and it's where for thousands of years. Cause remember now this is, this is Genghis Khan culture. These, these people were like at one time, the most fierce cavalry in the world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were horse people and, and they still are. That's what I'm trying to say. They still are. Well, over the eons, they had stacked up these stones to make this monument. What's the most disappointing place that you've been to? There's plenty of dog hunts. You know what I mean? I mean, you know, right here in the U.S., there's plenty of lousy hunts if you don't know who you're booking with, right? Would you agree? Yes. There's, there's plenty of Joe shits. Well, you know, there's lots of them down in Argentina, too, so beware. But uh, we went to Romania, and uh, the Dunab River, uh, if I'm saying that right, it, it, it goes through a lot of countries over there in Western Europe, over Eastern Bloc. And um, it, it was the worst time I had. I had a now, did you'll like this story? Uh, we had been to Sweden, which is incredible. Sweden is one of the, I would say Sweden, uh, outside of hitting snow geese just right on that day, I, I would say Sweden is probably uh, the best goose hunt on earth now that Argentina doesn't have a goose season. I, I would say it can be for, for Canada geese, barnacles, and gray lags. If you got the money, because it's an expensive hunt, it can be a very good hunt. But uh, in case you don't know this, uh, Romania is where all of the uh, where all the gypsies originate. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and I mean the truest sense of gypsy, which, which you know now, if I if I just said the, the words gypsy hitman, <laughs> if I say them, he looks exactly <laughs> like what you're thinking. The guy who had written me an email, I'm not the outfitter. I'm his, I'm his, uh, brother and he will not be there to entertain you. Uh, so, but if y'all still want to come bring the money <laughs> and, and, uh, you know, now, here's a story I heard in Romania because I didn't understand gypsies or didn't think I understood gypsies, but you know, we, we tell our children stories about Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Well, gypsies who have no written language never have had a single written language. You're either born into that into gypsy. You're either born a gypsy and you learn their native tongue, or you don't understand gypsy. That's how it works. <laughs> to this day, nobody's been able to crack the code and be able to speak gypsy unless they were taught. Unless they were born, and if you're not born into it, you're not taught. And they have no written language. They don't keep birth dates because they're uh, they're since, since the dawn of time they have. They've been grifters. They've been hustlers. They've been they've been cheats and they're frauders, right? The biggest houses in Romania belong to the gypsies. They keep their livestock in, in, on the bottom floor, just like Ellie Mae Clampett. 
<laughs> they uh, they, every all their stuff because hey, you live in a culture where people steal stuff, so you keep all your belongings, all your assets in your house. But now, I didn't walk in one, but my host was telling me that uh, they 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 steal gold, silver, jewelry, cash. That's what they're after, and you know it's like it's like a informal mafia, and so as they steal this stuff. They're liable to go home and 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 make the uh make the gold into a toilet into plumbing. So break break back to the back to the story. I get this I get this email, and end up going back and forth with this guy. And I'm thinking, no, nah, I'm not. Now y'all heard the back end of Romania story about gypsy. I'm thinking, I don't know about this guy. I don't know if we need to go to Romania with with something going on. And he said, Well, we're here. We've got our tickets. Why don't we do this? Why don't we just go to the airport and meet this guy? And if this guy don't look right, we our, our flags go off. We'll just we'll just pass on getting in the truck with him, and we'll come home. I said, well, you can't argue with that. So that's what we did, and we, we get to we get to uh, we get to we get to where we're going to Romania, and we go ahead and buy us a couple of liquor bo- liquor bottles anyway. Figuring we tell ourselves we're coming through customs uh, through the duty free. We say, well, we'll either drink it at camp or we'll drink it while we're waiting on our flight out of here. And when we meet this guy. <laughs> we walk out, he's got my name on the sign, and he looks looks like a big old hook-nosed hit man for the gypsies. And I'm like, I'm not getting in the truck with this guy. <laughs> uh, and so I'm trying to speak English like I'm I'm, I'm getting a little perturbed, and I, and I go, well, where is the outfitter? Where, what, what, you know? And, he, and he, he don't speak no English. So he hands me a phone, and now I'm on the phone with a guy who had written me an email, and I'm like, where's so-and-so, the outfitter? I don't even remember his name, guys. And he's like, uh, he can't come. So me, I, I will take care of you. I am his brother. I go, well, I don't know you from Adam. You know, where are we going? What are we doing? What about this? What about that? And he's, I, I like, well, where is so-and-so? I go, is he in jail? Is he in the hospital? No, no, he's not in the hospital. Is he in jail? No, he's not in jail. Somehow or other, in talking to this guy on speakerphone, Scott and I, and, and this hit man, you know, we say, well, I think we're okay. I, somehow or another, we got to feeling comfortable with it. And, and and we get to this great big van. We get to this van where uh, that we're going to ride in. And the last thing I do is I'm is, is, is uh before I walk around the side and get in the, the passenger side, is I take a picture of the license plate and text it to my wife. Say, I feel about 50-50 on this deal, but just in case, <laughs> you know, here, here's where I was last seen. So we get in here, and, and Scott, we've heard that we've heard that we bought us a couple of bottles of liquor. But Scott's a big beer drinker. He says, "You know, let's uh, that that liquor really didn't cost as much as we were led to believe it cost. But let's see if we can somehow tell this guy to stop by a store and us get some beer." Well, I pull out Google Translate and type beer, and he he gives me a thumbs up. We go in, and, and we start doing the conversion, and it's like buying a twelve pack of Bud Light back home. It's not expensive at all. And, uh, or, you know, compared to Bud Light back home and, and Scott had by then, you know, we've been to Netherlands. We've been to, we've been to, uh, Sweden. He, he got a, a flavor in mind. They didn't have but six bottles on the, on the shelf there in the refrigerator. And he, he said, ask them, do they got more? And, and, and I'm translating to them. They go, how much more? And I said, you know, 24 bottles. Well, man, they you want to talk about some folks getting in, getting hurrying up, getting in action? They, we cleaned them out. That's all they had with twenty four bottles of that brand. And, and we get to the cash register, they're trying to sell us window scrapers and cookies <laughs> and 
I, I, I think the cashier would have jumped the truck and come with us if we wanted to. I mean, they were they were all about selling that rich American something. And freight break, we finally go to meet this guy that's coming to meet us, and up comes this uh, freaking freaking uh, best looking, most expensive looking, probably the most expensive BMW sedan I've ever set foot in. And uh, the the guy seems well to do, and he, and he speaks good English. And once I meet him, we start relaxing. We go by this hunting store. That's where we buy our ammo. That's where we rent our guns. That's where we get our hunting license. It's this tiny little hole-in-the-wall hunting store. And we're cutting up and having a good time. But now I'm starting to relax. And, of course, we've had a few beers. Uh, this is the year that Trump versus Hillary. That that was an, it was an election year. And everybody in the world was talking about uh, the election. Everybody I met in Denmark and Sweden and Netherlands, everybody I met, everybody spoke English would ask me. Who are you voting for? Well, you know, over in Europe, they don't have Fox News. All they have is CNN, right? Yep. And so I would, I would answer the question. Well, who should I? Who should I vote for? And man, they could, they could run down to Hillary talking points, tit for tat. Let me tell you what they could. Well, I'm in the, I'm in this BMW with my host, and uh, who turns out to be my guide's brother-in-law, who is not in prison. But he is in jail until he pays a fine. Until he pays a fine, because what was explained to us as we bought our ammo, they gave us one case of ammo, and and they said you cannot have more than this amount of ammo in your possession ever. And and, and what had happened is he had had some Italians, and he had had all of their ammo in his truck when he went through a checkpoint. And until he paid the fine for being in excess of ammo possession, he was in the local lockup. That's what happened to him. And, and like like when we would leave in the morning from this this uh, from camp, which is a very good camp, very good food. When we would leave in the mornings, we would always have to stop, and the police would would come out and would check our guns and count our ammo. And then as we were coming back from the hunt, we would stop. And they would count our ammo and check our guns again. It, it's very, very police. It's Eastern Bloc, Russia. And, you know, one thing I do remember is I got to know my host a little bit better. It was the brother-in-law of the guide. The hunting was terrible. I'm going to tell you that right now. The hunting was, I think we shot 15 birds, green-winged teal, and one shell duck in, in three days. We were going down the road one day, and there was a gypsy funeral going on. Man, just saying that alone was something else entirely different. But, uh... But, you know, it was interesting to me because as I got to know my host, we were walking around uh, some downtown one day looking at some of the old churches and just eating, you know, waiting to go to the airport. And he was telling me that he and his brother and mom and daddy, Romania used to be Eastern Bloc Russia. And we were talking about when he was in high school, the Russian government would give his family four loaves of bread per month. That, that was what they got. That's what they gave them. Was, was he, he and his brother, and his mother and his daddy were given four loaves of bread per month. And, and he began to talk about how now little building projects around town that he had done or that he would do or that was what his company would bid on. You know, he was doing well. He was kind of living a, a good dream. He, he was obviously successful. And uh, and I said, I said, well, wh- why not go ahead and pay? Uh, how much, how much tax do you pay right now? And he explained that he pays about 20%, 20, 20 to 25% tax, depending on how he his accountant turned it in, right? More if, if the accountant didn't do right. But I said, well, why not go ahead and double that? Why not do 50%? Why 
Why not just pay the government fifty percent? And, and and he got a confused look on his face, and he and he goes, I, I don't understand. I said, Why not? It'd be good for people. It'd be good for the public. It'd be good for the other Romanians if you pay twice as much tax. And he says, Well, maybe you don't understand, but but if I pay more tax, I have to fire employees. I said, Yeah. So what? And he started he started getting he started getting kind of bowed up. Like, well, I don't I don't understand. I don't follow your reasoning, sir. Why would I pay more tax? Those families that I would have to fire depend on this job. I said, Exactly. And he finally he said, look, I said, so what you're saying is you really would vote for Trump, not Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he started smiling. He said, he, see, that, I said, see, CNN's not telling you that part of the story. Right. But that's why everybody's voting for Trump. It's for lower tax rates so that they can grow businesses and they can do business and, and scale out and, you know, live the American dream. But, you know, it, it's just, but Romania was a very, very disappointing hunt. It, it, the hunting itself extremely disappointing everything else was fascinating but that was a huge i'll never go back to hunt romania and there's, there's a lot of countries over that eastern block I, I get emails and um i see them on facebook time to time a lot of them eastern block countries it's just no I, I don't i don't see myself going there to to organize hunts uh like we do elsewhere in the world i got a friend of mine that went to romania to bucharest on a some kind of deal bucharest but he told me, he said, Jeff, that is the coldest, nastiest place I've ever been in my entire life. He said everybody was dirty. And he was talking about the gypsies. Yeah. The gypsies. He said just it was. Not- I, can, I can see that. I really can see that. Um, you know, health care. Boy, I tell you what, everybody wants a global health care or whatever they call it. Good luck with that, man. You know, it's like this, this uh, construction guy, my host, was explaining to me socialized medicine in Romania. Now, if you talk to a, a prosperous country like New Zealand, you talk to a New Zealander about their socialized health medicine, they love it. You talk to a, somebody in Sweden about their, their social health medicine, they love it. You talk to somebody in a country like Romania about it, they're like, uh-uh, no way, Jose. Like, he was telling me he had to have a, uh, he had a torn meniscus. I've had meniscus surgery before. He told me that, it would have taken him two or three years to get in for basic knee surgery. So he bribed him to get cut into line. And that before he went under, he gave he gave that doctor $3,000 and said, if I don't die over meniscus surgery, Whew. if I don't die, I'll give you $3,000 when I, when I recover. Wow. Jeez. That, that's so, that's, that is what true socialized medicine is all about. Well, you, you know, you use Sweden and New Zealand for examples of the great health care. You know what the, they both have in common? They don't have to uh-huh. spend money on their military because someone else is going to make sure nothing happens to them. Now, I'm not saying they don't have military. A lot of the places that have that socialized medicine, they're like, well, they don't spend all their money on the military. So, yeah, because the United States makes sure Russia hadn't taken them over for the last hundred years, basically. Well, now we're worried about China, you know, this, this Wuhan thing. Uh, it, it's a mess, man. I've never seen anything like it. You know, I, I, I've, I've, uh, Jeff, y'all been in business. Stanfield Outfitters have been in business forever, hadn't you? I mean, y'all 20, been in business a long time. 28 years. 28 years. And y'all, I mean, so in 28 years, I graduated high school in 1984, which is longer than 28 years ago. But, you know, in 1987, there, there was a economic, Black Black Friday, they called it. In 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 night, uh, I don't remember the nineties, but I do remember two thousand. 
the 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 tech bubble in 2008, the the mortgage crisis. Now we are in 2020 because of COVID. It's got a lid on this economy. I've seen downturns in this economy. When I was young, it didn't bother me as bad. When you get older, it does. But you know, I guess after you've been around a while, are, are you seeing, are you seeing, or feeling any any effect at all during those downturns, or because of this COVID stuff that affects you as an outfitter? Well, I don't know the down. What, what's going to end up playing on this? Because if I think if we go back to work in the next six weeks, I think our economy will pick right back up. Some things are going to lag, I, I, and but I've, yeah. I've sold a lot of hunts the last two weeks. But we do a lot of business all over the United States. We don't do just business. This oil thing. That's right. This oil thing is going to really hurt a lot of guys in Texas, and I don't have a you know I, I rely probably twenty percent of our business is oil related, and yeah. it's, it's going to hurt us some. But we pick up a lot of stuff globally, so that that's going to help us. Um, the 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 biggest drop I've ever seen in business was when Obama got elected, not in two thousand eleven, oh, September eleventh to hurt hurt, but. It wasn't that bad. I mean, it came. The other thing, it's always like when something falters, something else picks up. So when the techs went yeah. out, the oil came back, and then construction goes on. But the day Obama got elected, my phone stopped ringing for about two or three months. Nobody had any mm-hmm. faith in the economy. As soon as Trump got elected, no. it was already going, but it started booming again. So, I mean, well, I tell you what, that that uh that two or three weeks, uh, I'd say no. The- that two months preceding the 2016 election with Hillary versus Trump, my phone didn't ring. Uh, I, I call. I called. Uh, I called my web guy. Like, am I online? <laughs> I mean, is, is everything? You know, is everything going good? Because it was cooking pretty good up till then. And then, uh, and then I started hearing from domestic outfitters, local people I knew around the country, saying, "Hey, is your phone ring?" I'm like, "No, it's crickets." And the day after Trump got elected, boom, business was good. But, you know, but I, I've just seen, you know, this, this COVID is just, uh, this thing we're in right now, I, I think it's going to, I think it's going to affect, uh, different parts of our economy. I agree with you, Jeff. I think if, 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 you know, and you and I, you're from Texas, I'm from Mississippi, we're among the 30 some odd states that are fixing to open back up and, and get things rolling again. And, uh, or, or so we hear, so we think and know. And, uh, I feel pretty confident we've actually been selling hunts, uh, for April, which is a very, very slow time of year for us, we've been selling hunts the last couple of weeks. March was quiet. Not when all the world was wondering, you know, me people going to die and we're going to be sheltered in place for the next, you know, 20 months. You know, it got kind of quiet. But now it's, it's getting kind of normal. As a business owner, I'm never relaxed about it. I mean, I'm always, you're a business owner, I'm a business owner. You know, you always wait for the music to stop or for something to change gears you're always you know not comfortable but uh but but i do i do worry a little bit uh you know that that economy was oh boy was it kicking the last couple of years and uh i i think i think it's gonna I think between all uh all prices and and between how the interruption of employment revenues are going to disrupt probably the, the the guys in their 20s and 30s especially uh, as compared to guys in their 50s, 60s, 70s. I think it's going to be different. I think the next couple of years uh, it's going to be tougher on some people than others, but but it worries me. I, I, last time the oil got real soft like it was, and I don't ever remember it being 11 dollars 12 a barrel like it is today. Um, we had a lot of our guys, a lot of our young people that are uh, employed in energy uh, in Texas and the Dakotas and elsewhere, 
they they sat on the sideline for a little bit, and and I remember it hurting bad enough me saying, "I'll pay five dollars a gallon at the pump for the rest of my life." I see what oil does to this comp. We oh, need we need strong oil. Yeah, I'm, I've got a lot more money in the bank when gasoline's four dollars a barrel. I mean, four dollars a gallon. Yeah. When they're paying four dollars yeah. a gallon at the pump, I'm making money. I, I, everybody is that that that. See, that's just it. Jeff. We pay four dollars, five dollars a gallon at, at the pump. Yeah, I know it costs you more, but but you're making more. Uh, man, the economy's good. People are employed. Man, when when they're when, when you're paying that much and, and all is sixty dollars north of barrel, everybody's got jobs. Man, everybody's working, so they're spending money on whatever whatever you know excites them. I, I tell you who would be I would be nervous if I did, and we do a lot of dove business in September and October, and I'm nervous to see how that's going to go because people are going to have to make up their mind here pretty quick if they're going to do some of those big corporate hunts that we do and not. But the guys in Canada that are running hunts, they don't know if the border is going to be open. They don't know. And I know those guys have got to be really worried right now. And I talked to a guy that guides up there, and they've had all just – it's cancellation after cancellation right now up there. I'm hearing and saying the same thing, Jeff. It's it's, uh, We're booking hunts. But at the same time, we're booking some hunts for April – we got the same thing going on. We're probably we're probably going to have to defer 100% of our hunters from Argentina, Peru, New Zealand, and Australia. Most most of them uh, through May have already been, but we're probably at least through late June. Probably going to have to roll them all over into the 2021 books. We've already talked to a lot of them. We've already made plans for a lot of them. As as new hunters call up, we're only selling. 2021 hunts under the assumption that 2020 hunters are going to be there too. That way we, we make sure we're not, we're not overpacked, whatever like that. But, uh, I'm, I'm hearing it and seeing it, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's just going to be real interesting to see how this thing plays out. And I'm talking to local outfitters, uh, and I mean by local somewhere in the U S but they've had some cancellations primarily from the, uh, the 30-some-odd-year-old demographic, but not just them, others too, uh, not knowing what their income stream is going to be later, not knowing what they're going to do. In terms of borders, uh, right now, it just it, it, I, I still can't get my mind wrapped around the fact that every human being I've ever known on Earth, all those duck guys in Azerbaijan, all the, all the, 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 the hotel people there in Baku, the folks over in uh, uh, Romania, the, the Argentina, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, every human being on earth I know is sheltered in place right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Absolutely every nuts. Every international border I've ever stepped across is sealed tighter than a frog rectum. <laughs> Boom. It's sealed. No coming or going. So, you know, we don't know. And, and, and as, we, as we've talked to people about moving forward, this uh, – Moving forward, this you know into Mexico. I mean, I think I'm pretty dang certain that January and February going to be normal. But what if they're not? Yeah. So we've already started making contingencies, you know. And uh, as, as we sell hunts and work with groups, uh, thinking forward in the future, we we let them know that if 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 COVID interrupts travel across borders, or we'll 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 defer it. We'll take care of it. That's all you can do. But, but on the flip side, for anybody listening. Um, Hey mom, but anybody else listening, <laughs> I would I would say you know it, it is a it is scary, and it is a uh, an unsettling time. But especially 
uh, here in the United States, I would, I would, uh, I would take my chances. If you, if you're working with the right guys like Stan Field and like many, many others in this country, many good, solid, reputable outfitters that have been around and got their wheels on them and have got a reputation, uh, it's also, it's, I think, I think it may also be a good opportunity for some of your listeners, Jeff, or anybody else to, you know, like some of these outfitters I know, usually this time of year, their falls are pretty darn book solid. Well, now all of a sudden they got vacancies. Here's your chance to get your feet under the table. Yeah, you know, and and uh, you know we need to. I, I just got. I'm not. I don't mean to get off in a preach mode. I, I don't mean to be preachy about this, but I'm gonna tell y'all about traveling. What I see beyond the species and the food and the interesting things and the gypsies and things like that is hunting. And, and in a lot of respects, it's, it, it's very hard for us to get our mind wrapped around as Americans that hunting is hanging by a thread. Mm-hmm. But it it really kind of is. And you go you go somewhere like Australia, which I love. I encourage everybody to go to Australia because I can promise you this: it's not a matter of if, but when hunting is going to cease to exist in Australia because they there's so few hunters that they're fighting like the like the last folks in the alamo for every inch they get to hunt down there i I know a lot of the guys working for field and game australia they are a a, man they are a valiant bunch they fight the fight man they they do a good thing but but you know as i look at places like netherlands and places like australia especially but even places like south africa south africa other countries i see you know hunting is hanging by a thread what it really starts to boil down to is what I call political relevance. And political relevance is money. Politicians care about money. They care about revenues. They care about taxes. That's what that's what motivates politicians and political people is money. And, you know, uh, we're, we're fixing to find out, I'm afraid, because of uh, the supply chain disruption. Uh, a lot of, of countries, a lot of companies in our industry, let alone the world, just think our little small hunting industry, a lot of uh, they're gonna have they're gonna have make or break years this year, because they may not get the product in that they need in time to go to market, you know, and uh, and there may not be enough disposable income over here to buy that gear, and and likewise hunters too, and and you know if if for every, I know money's tight, I know we all work very hard for our income, but but for every company quality company out there selling merchandise or selling a hunting service uh in america that falls by the wayside that's one that, that's, that's another nail in, nail in the coffin for hunting in america and i've seen it in other countries and, and i think i think we deceive ourselves uh just because trump's in office now he's not going to be in office forever no sooner or later we're going to get one of these crazy democrats that want to get obama was one of them that wants to get rid of this stuff we're doing and if we don't have political relevance and we don't have enough people out there hunting and enough outfitter delivering it and enough people selling merchandise to generate that political relevance we're in trouble right. so anybody anybody listen man you know don't don't just uh you've still got two nickels to rub together when you come out to the other end of this thing book a hunt book a hunt with one of these good guys here in the u.s and uh and continue to hunt and support these guys that are selling quality product out here, keep them, keep them in business. You know, keep them in business. Same as the politicians are saying about, hey, support your local restaurants by going and getting curbside service. Don't forget about hunting and fishing. 
because it's important to us, right? Well, and and the good thing about and Jeff and I have talked about this off air. The good thing, whenever we do come out of this, it, and if and like you said, if people still have two nickels to rub together after this quarantine bullshit, they're going to want to get out of the house and they're going to want to go <laughs> fishing and they're going to want to go hunting. So, I, I we have a good feeling about it, you know if we come out of this relatively unscathed in texas they're saying you know may 1st is kind of the day that things are going to go back to normal if that's true i think we'll be okay now if this drags on into late july and early august it might be a different story especially for oh the dove hunting. boy oh boy that that would be uh that would be that would be bad if, if this thing yeah I, I'm, I'm with y'all i think if in the next 40 to 50 days we can start getting normal and getting parts get people get back to work yeah you know and, and you know that's one thing about americans uh especially us anybody you're listening to i heard y'all ask uh y'all's guest last week you know or he asked y'all how many democrats listen to you <laughs> I, I laughed and said oh it ain't very many no yeah. we've weeded them out everybody everybody that listens to y'all show everybody that, that i do business with they want to work yep they just want to work and, and right now you know a lot of my clients they want to travel just they can't travel but they want to work because it's what we do, yep. you know. So uh, I, I I do share y'all's optimism. I, I, maybe it's because I'm a duck hunter and I'm all I'm an eternal <laughs> optimist. But I, but I do believe I do believe that if uh, if they'll ease off and let us get back to work and let us do what we want to do and work, I, I believe things are going to come back. I, I I think and I think they're probably going to be uh, I think they're going to be pretty strong because I since I graduated high school, there's been four major downturns in the economy. This wasn't really one of them. This is like a big green COVID monster trying to hold a lid on a barrel fire, you know, yeah, this, and uh, trying to snuff it out. And you got the Democrats, of course, piling on top of them, trying to trying to snuff it out too. I, I don't. I, I think if uh, if this thing will go away, it's going to be like that lid coming off and air hitting those ashes, and it's going to come roaring back. And that's what I think. If somebody would have told you on G- February first that every airline in America was grounded, every border was closed up. Oil was going to sell below zero today, trade below zero, and that unemployment rate would be 22%. You just said bullshit. You'd have thought we had a nuclear attack or something to be at that. No. I, I, I couldn't have, I could not have imagined that if I were a science fiction writer. Yeah. No. I mean, I, 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 there's no way I could have made that up. You know, because, like, you know, we go to convention uh, January, February. We're wrapped up with a lot of big hunting shows, and – it wasn't just that business was good. It's like the, the, the attitude of people at those shows. It was, it was more like walking into Mardi Gras yep. than into a hunting show. It was, it was crazy. The energy, you know, throughout the whole economy, record unemployment in America. And everybody felt good, you know. And everybody, everybody I knew was doing good, you know. And uh, so I don't know. It, hopefully uh, it'll be like pulling a big stick out of spokes and the wheel starts spinning like y'all say by the first week of may and if it does i think i think i think everybody will be okay i really do well i'm still a few people may get weeded out uh and i'm thinking like some of these uh you know uh, i i became aware of of like a some businesses or uh maybe 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 some young very young when i love young outfitters don't get i love the energy that young outfitters bring but but you know you gotta admit uh there was so much capital in the system, so much spending available. So, you know, maybe maybe there were some outfitters, some businesses that, that got a late start in the party that maybe weren't maybe won't be around afterwards. 
You know what I'm saying? Maybe, yeah. maybe uh, they didn't deliver enough value. After 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 this, I think a lot of I think a lot I think you're right. I think a lot of people that are like you know what, because we run into this being in business so long. We've had guys that have hunted with us, and they're like you know we love you guys, but we just wanted to try something different. And I think a lot of people are going to be like, we're going to go with the safe bet this year. We're going to go with a reputable outfitter rather than throwing a dart. Yeah, we're, you know, because a lot of guys are like, you know, we'll just throw a dart, and that's where we're at for the year. It's nothing against you guys. You guys run a top-notch organization, but we just want to see something different. I think a lot of guys are going to go with a reputable outfitter and not throw a dart into the darkness hoping that they find a hidden gem somewhere. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like it's like when when, when, when things are as crazy economically as they were, that's when a lot of you people day trade, buy a bunch of crazy penny stocks gambling, you know. Right. But but when things are tough, that you know that's when they start going back to those blue chips and those solid vanilla ice cream investments and always bear fruit. And, that, and I, man, a, com- a, co- a company like y'all has been around for twenty eight years. That's blue chip. Yeah, you got to be doing something right to be around that long. I guarantee you. We just pulled the wool over everybody's yes. eyes. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't believe. I know better. I've, I've been in business now for uh, about twenty years and. There ain't no, there, there's no pulling wool over people's eyes anymore. No, no, no. You can, I, I, you, you can't pull pull wool over nobody's eyes. But one time, and, and you know, maybe maybe the old shysters of yesteryear could do it, but not today. You've got social, media. you've got to be accountable today. I can tell you what, you've got to, you're held accountable because of social media. You either you either take care of those clients and you do good by them, or, or your time in this business is short lived. Yep. I hope things pick up pretty fast because I don't want to have to be selling my ass on the corner. <laughs> but if I do, I hope they're paying me by the pound. <laughs> Jeff will make a lot of money. <laughs> Ramsey, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. We appreciate you being on here. We'd like to get you on here again in about three months to tell some more stories. Love hearing about other countries hunting. Um, how can people get a hold of you? Yeah, people can get a hold of me at. Uh, uh, telephone number 601 214 9737. And I'm not big honker podcast, but y'all come check out Duck Season somewhere, uh, anywhere you get your podcast fix. How are you? And, li- how um, are you liking that? Are you liking the podcast? Are you liking the podcast? Yeah, thing? yeah. A lot of fun? Man, look, are you kidding? You, I'm just like y'all. I like to talk. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> on an ending note, I'll tell you this: I, I really thought this is crazy. I thought when I walked in my house on February 22nd, I thought I was going to be home until April 23rd. That was the longest consecutive stretch of time I've been home in four or five years. Wow! And I was looking forward to it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess. I'll bear my soul to you. Uh, I realized about a month ago it wasn't that I was in risk of burning out from all that travel. I was burned out, man. Yeah. And and, and right now, you know, and it's not though. No, how I'll never burn out sitting in a duck barn and laughing, and cutting up, shooting ducks. I'll never, I'll never burn out doing that. But the travel and the being gone and the being gone and the travel, it's like, like consider this, I was home, I, my, I did not know my wife had this calendar, but I was home about 16 days between September 1st and February 22nd. Wow. You know, c- come in from a show and, and turn around in two days and hit the road. Come in from the road, turn around in, in a, I don't know, two two to five days and hit the road. Come in, I come in from convention uh, I might get in from, uh, well, I mean, come in from SEI and 10 hours later, leave the house, head to Azerbaijan. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. just go, 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 go. And, uh, 
and right now I, I'm 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 prayerful and, and mindful. I, I I want everybody. I want this economy to get going. I want everybody to start making money. I want everybody to be happy and be safe. Uh, but in terms of me not traveling for another three or four more weeks, I, I can tough it out. I, I'm I'm kind of happy to be parked right now. Had the world not quit spinning. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have quit moving. Right. And right now, I'm kind of happy not to be moving. Just me personally. Now, now, but doing that podcast has given me time to catch up. You know, and and, and uh, I enjoy that part. I love. You can tell I love the talking and the storytelling part. Yeah. You know. And um, but anyway, guys, I, I appreciate y'all having me on here. I, I listen to your podcast. Y'all do a great job, and uh, I, I listen to. It. It's one of the few I listen to all the time. I'm always I'm honored to be here. Well, uh, coming from you. a man like you saying that you listen to our podcast, that uh, that means a lot. Coming from a man with uh, with your credentials, so we really do appreciate it. And we appreciate you Thank coming you. and uh, and talking to us, Ramsey. Thank you, you, Andy. You have a great day, sir. God bless you, and we look forward to talking to you again. All right, Jeff. Adios, man. Thank Stay you. Bye. Ramsey Russell, ladies and gentlemen, that man has seen. He's lived a life. He really yeah, has. They need to. He was somebody that could do a book on the things he's seen, the countries. He was naming countries. I had to look them up on the map. I, like, I still can't say. I still. I, Azer, I don't know. Azerbaijan or. <laughs> he's a great guy, though. He is. And just nobody speak English around him. That's just. And that's what I, I was. When he was telling that picture about the guy in the boat, I thought, man, that'd been a cool picture. I wouldn't do good in circumstances like that. No, I didn't do you're good too going nervous, to, I didn't do good going to Canada and yeah. everybody spoke the same language. No, you're too nervous. You would not make a world traveler like that. <laughs> you sometimes you just got to go by your heels. I can't do it. I know you can't. I can't do it. I got to have everything out there. I love their attitude. We'll buy two bottles of whiskey here, <laughs> and if we if the if looks we shady, like we'll just look- go in the bar, <laughs> drink there until it's time to catch our flight out of here. Oh, what a what a what a life he's lived. But somebody's got to live it, man. Yep. It was a great one. I love having Ramsey on here. Can't wait to have him on here again. Y'all, I appreciate everyone listening. Uh, we'll have another one out on Friday. On Friday morning, it'll be just me and Andy talking some shit. So look forward to hearing y'all, or listen. look forward to having y'all listen to us. Thank y'all. God bless y'all, and have a wonderful day.